Welcome to a very special episode of Who Says No, the only NBA trade podcast. Don't fact check that. We are going to do something today that I have been pushing for for quite some time with all of my NBA buddies. My co-host, Colin Ward-Henninger, is finally obliged. We are going to do the first, hopefully, annual Tradies Awards. These are the awards given out for trades that took place during the 2019-20 season. So any trade that affected the on-court product last season, essentially from the 2019 offseason to the 2020 deadline, we are doing awards for them. Colin, how excited are you to be a part of this momentous occasion? Sam, it's hard for me to contain myself. And and really, you, you set it all off by calling this a very special episode. And when I think of that, of course, I always think of my old 80s and early 90s, uh, you know, programming that had a very special episode that involved some sort of alcohol or somebody's first joint or something like that. So I hope that this Tradies podcast can uh, elevate people to that same level of intensity and feeling. We need to fit a socially responsible message into here. So don't do drugs. I don't know what that has to do with trades, but we'll fit it in. That's anyway. right. it's bad timing with the pandemic to tell people not to do drugs. Just saying. Okay. You know, what? just make it through the day. Do whatever you need to do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. I feel like we both kind of live on NBA Twitter and everyone on NBA Twitter, aside from us, the writers, are 15-year-old kids. So you know what? Maybe we can have a positive impact on their lives. You know what? I tell my parents all the time. They, I, I think I was raised pretty well, and I always ask them, you know, how they did it, and they never, they don't really have any tricks. But then I think about it. I watched all these cheesy kind of, you know, teen drama shows that are always telling people not to drink, not to smoke, not to do drugs, and I think it might have worked. I think the TV raised me a little bit. Well, the opposite side of that is it's very easy not to do drugs when you live in this super fancy six-bedroom townhouse in San Francisco, like. You're one of the full house kids. It's pretty easy for the, for the rest of us who have to live in the real world. I don't know. Like, I, I always wish they would have been a little bit more realistic about that stuff. That's a very We've good point. And when you think about it, off topic. some of the people who we were about to talk about in these trades might have been on drugs when they made them. So there's our segue. That is a fantastic segue. Colin, that might be the best segue you've, you've thrown out as a host of this podcast. We, we've only had like five episodes, but, you know, bar, it can only go up from here. So we have seven awards to hand out. We are treating this like the Oscars. We are both dressed to the nines in our tuxedos. The way we're going to do this is we are going to name the runner-ups, but we are going to name both runner-ups, rather. We have three nominees here, and then we're going to dive into the winner. We're starting with, we're trying to do this like the Oscars, where we put a pretty good award up front, and then we build up to the best one at the end. So we're starting with the best mutually beneficial trade of the year. The trade that worked out for both sides exactly as intended. Colin, you're the one who really pushed for the second runner up here. Why don't you dive in? Well, I, I think, first of all, we need to get like some sort of fanfare. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll try to throw some music on here. And one the question before what is the music? <laughs> one question before we get started. Can we play people off if they start taking too long explaining trades? I will 100 percent do that when we get to the cap dump section of this. So just. <laughs> Whatever you need to do, I understand. All right, I'll make my own little music when you're getting a little long. Uh, yeah, but first of all, I mean, you act like I push for that. I, I, this isn't like a Rodney Hood situation with you where you really wanted to talk about it. But I'm just thinking of trades that kind of impacted both sides equally. And uh, one that came to mind was two veteran wings getting traded for each other. Basically, Trevor Ariza went from the Kings to the Blazers, and Kent Bazemore went from the Blazers to the Kings. These are two players, veterans who were clearly not happy in their situations. They weren't playing well. Um, after the trade, 
both started playing a lot better. This, this, you know, uh, might have had a chance to win this category if Trevor Reza had played in the bubble and made a significant impact for the Blazers, which it looked like he might have done. Uh, but since that didn't happen, it, it becomes a runner-up. And the Kings also got two second-round picks in that deal. So I think, you know, it, it, getting rid of Trevor Reza's salary, bringing in a guy uh, like Bazemore, who clearly helped that team for the, you know, they were still trying to make the playoffs at that point, theoretically. So I think, uh, you know, it's a minor trade, obviously, but I think it, it uh, affected both teams positively. Colin, you know who won this category. It was never going to win it. We have one of the biggest trades in recent NBA history is the winner here. And you're talking about this as the possible winner of a reason got in the bubble. I, no, that's, you know, if it was never going to win. This was number three. If they would have upset the Lakers in the first round, this trade wins the award. Let's be honest. That's a mighty sized if. That's like saying if I would have been NBA MVP, I would not be hosting this podcast right now. You got to get with Jim, man. Get with Drew Hamlin. Yeah, this was a this was a perfectly fine two way trade. The Blazers wanted to get better for a playoff push, and they did. The Kings got a couple draft picks, and they did. Like this is what you expect to happen at the trade deadline. One team wants to win and gets better. One team is not winning and gets a little better for their future. So very straightforward. I, I have no arguments here. I mean, I think you're a little higher on this trade than I am. I mean, talking about those very special episodes, I think you might be the kid who's pushing the drugs on the. On these poor sitcom characters. You're calling me a pusher? Yeah. If you're thinking that Trevor Ariza might have beaten our winner here, then yes. But well, did this I is mention, a fine third place finisher. Did I mention that the Blazers also got Winyan Gabriel, who ended up actually starting for them in the bubble, in the playoffs? Great. Like, we can revisit this if we do, like, a five-year retrospective about how Winyan Gabriel turned out. I don't think that's beating the number one on this list. It's not even beating the number two, frankly. I think this one might draw a little bit of an argument, but... The runner-up for me was D'Angelo Russell along with well, – actually, I'm sorry. D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins along with a first-round pick from Minnesota. This has nothing to do with the players here. For me, I look at this as a very simple proposition. The Timberwolves give up only one first-round pick to get off of the Andrew Wiggins contract. I think coming into last season, we both thought if that wasn't the worst contract in basketball, it was certainly in the bottom five. And the Warriors, if you really want to track this back to its origin, essentially get a pick that could be in the high lottery for Kevin Durant. Like, sure, D'Angelo Russell was who was actually traded in this deal, but really Russell was just what they could get for Kevin Durant at the time, and then they flipped it into a high pick. Now, they had to take on Andrew Wiggins to get that pick, but as we talked about leading up to um, the NBA draft, we were talking maybe they would combine that with number two in a big superstar trade. That's salary filler for them, at the very least. It's a useful rotation player, which they now need. So I think, don't get me wrong, neither the Warriors or the Timberwolves are going to win the championship this year, but both teams accomplished something positive with this deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was around the Warriors back when we were allowed to be around NBA teams. And, uh, you know, the, the feeling was always that it was a wait-and-see approach with D'Angelo Russell. Like, I don't think anyone thought he was going to come in and be the savior and keep them in championship contention. But like you said, maybe him and Steph have this amazing chemistry. It turned out that that was clearly not the case, and then Steph got hurt anyway. Um, so they ended up trading him. And for a guy, you know, you can say dismiss the players all you want, but I, I still think Andrew Wiggins can be a significant contributor on a very good team. We won't talk about that. But the real prize is obviously that top three protected 21 2021 pick uh in an absolutely loaded draft and uh you know by all accounts the timberwolves are trying to win this year i don't think they will be so that pick will will probably not be in the top three but it will still be pretty juicy uh so i think it'll convey this year and also um 
you know, you, you, you didn't mention that getting D'Angelo Russell for the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, you know, appeases Carl Anthony Towns. Well, maybe, you know, makes here's him happy. why I didn't mention that. Because it appeases him right now when he has four years left on his contract. But in two years, when they've missed the playoffs twice in a row, he's not going to be as thrilled to be playing with his best buddy. So I'm not taking that element of this trade too seriously. But what I will say is, I think while we can both acknowledge that D'Angelo Russell is a flawed player and probably isn't as good as Carl Anthony Towns thinks he is, he's better than Andrew Wiggins. They got a meaningful upgrade here. In that, for them, he's a better player. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, it, this was. It's not as if they traded for somebody who's the surefire all-star franchise point guard. They got a reasonable upgrade that will, I guess, help their chemistry, help help keep things copacetic for a little while. I'm not sure I totally agree with the plan for the long term, but for now, sure, this worked out fine. More importantly, they got off the Wiggins steal, which I thought was one of the worst in basketball. Quick question: If they don't make this trade. Do the Minnesota Timberwolves have LaMelo Ball running point right now? Yes, 100%, unequivocally. Wow. Yeah. Great one if. Great what if. Well, I mean, we're, we're very early here. We don't know how good LaMelo is going to be or how good Anthony Edwards is going to be. But just purely thinking about, you know, in terms of the way that NBA teams think, you don't pass up a primary ball handler for an off-ball scorer unless you think that scorer is going to be like Kevin Durant. So I would assume they would have taken LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball, possibly the only player in the NBA who could make your defense worse than D'Angelo Russell. I don't, I, I, I'm, I don't want to say I'm high on LaMelo Ball's defense. I'm high on his defensive upside. Well, Lonzo had some similar questions coming in. Not this bad, but similar. People thought he didn't play defense, and he turned out to be a great defender. So we'll see. So let's dovetail into the winner here. And this is, I think, maybe the most obvious winner of any category that we're going to do. Anthony Davis to the Lakers. It's very straightforward. The Lakers won the championship because they got Anthony Davis. The Pelicans got an absolute haul for Anthony Davis. A young all-star Brandon Ingram, a young former number two pick, like still has upside, maybe not exactly what they would have hoped, but a good player, Lonzo Ball. Josh Hart, great role player, bunch of draft picks. This is very straightforward. I don't think there's any argument that this isn't the winner here. No, this is, this is Parasite winning best foreign film. Like, the only real question is whether it's going to win Best Picture overall. Fantastic you know. tease. Thank you. That's what I'm here for. I'm an Oscar. Are you an Oscars guy, Sam? I have been in the past. I've kind of gone in and out. It's just what I've found, especially as peak TV has gotten more and more pretentious, is that seeing everything that you need to see to be really into this stuff feels like homework. So now I'm just sort of at a point in my life where I watch so much basketball that when I'm watching anything else, I kind of just want to turn my brain off and like watch The Office for the 40th time. Yeah, it's tough during the NBA season, definitely. And the, the timing of the Oscars is not great for trying to cram all those, you know, think pieces into a, into a couple weeks. But I anyway. did love Parasite, though. That was legitimately, like, that was worth the time. That wasn't homework. Parasite's great. I mean, there's just nothing not to like about that movie. Anyway, we could talk about the Oscars until the cows come home. But in terms of mutually beneficial trade of the year, yeah, like, y- you nailed it. There's there's nothing you can really say to, to dispute this. Like, Anthony Davis won the Lakers the NBA championship, uh, possibly ahead of schedule, depending on how you felt about last year's teams. And then uh, the, the Pelicans got just an absolute haul, not only the the stars, but like Josh Hart. And, you know, they ended up trading that number four pick for Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So like they just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. They got a lot of young guys and they got a lot more on the way. So I don't even know if we need to talk that much more about this because we're going to see it. 
in the uh, you know one of the future categories. I won't spoil anything. Yeah, why don't we save the more in-depth debate about it for the later category that it is in, and we'll move on. So I think the funniest of all of the categories, rumor of the year. This is purely for entertainment purposes. I mean, we're not talking about magnitude in the NBA. We're purely talking about the rumors that we thought were funniest. So first runner up here, it was around the trade deadline. I want to say this was in February. We got a story that the Knicks and the Warriors were monitoring monitoring Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. I just want to ask the question, at what point in a trade rumors life cycle should it become public? Because and I'm going to break some news here. Like, ready for this? You know who I else the wait. Knicks are monitoring? Who? Zion Williamson. What? They're really keeping an eye on this John Morant kid, too. Like, all 30 teams are monitoring all of the important players in every other team. I just, this is just sort of a sentiment to me that I think, why why is this getting public? Why, like, if there aren't substantive trade talks, why are we hearing this? This is just, as even as people that have to generate page views for our jobs, like, this is ridiculous. This is one of those where it gets passed around in Slack and we're like, okay, what else is there? And you're like, no, that's it. And you're like, do we have to write this? And then we have a 45 minute long discussion because this is just, I mean, every, you know, the, the NBA is built on trade rumors and free agency rumors is especially in the last 10 years or so. Like this is what the NBA is and this is the discussion around it and player movement and all this stuff is great. But as you mentioned, I mean, if a team is monitoring someone's situation, what does that even mean? <laughs> they're they're checking in with him, calling his friends, seeing if he's doing okay. I mean, I just don't really understand. I think that team that, like, they're where we are, where, like, they watch the games and realize that it's not a great situation. Like, that that's not that's nothing. Like, I'm monitoring Carl Anthony Towns' situation. I'm not going to trade for Carl Anthony Towns. You're around the Warriors, though. Why does this always happen with the Warriors? Because we went through it to some extent with Giannis. We went through it with Anthony Davis. There's sort of this sentiment that since they got Kevin Durant, every time a new star comes up, it's like, no, no, this was always part of the plan. It was get Durant first and then pivot to Anthony Davis. Yeah, you answered your own question. I mean, I think the Durant <laughs> signing just really, now it's anybody who's who's coming up. You know, Bradley Beal, sure, bring him on. Doesn't matter. Uh, Giannis, whatever. Great warrior. John Morant will be a great warrior in 2026. Yeah, they're already on the Zion plan, I'm sure. But like you said, uh, I, I think you do pose an interesting existential question. When does a rumor become like a quote unquote rumor? Like, what is that moment where somebody was like, you know what? They're monitoring this hard enough that we need to write about it. I, I don't think there's a definitive answer to this, but I would essentially say when there's any chance whatsoever that a trade could happen. And there was no chance whatsoever that Carl Anthony Towns was going to get traded last year. It was a fun one. I, I enjoyed the rumor of the year. What's the so, next runner? Next runner up, we're again going back to the Knicks. It was the entire Masai Ujiri situation where the Knicks finally fire Steve Mills. They're finally going to bring in a new head of basketball operations. And there was this like three week period where we learned that Masai Ujiri is not he, he's looking for a contract extension from the Raptors. They still haven't reached one. And that the Knicks might be interested. We've known this part for a while, that James Dolan was so scarred by the Carmelo Anthony trade that he made with Masai Ujiri that he refused to trade with him again and ever since has been totally enamored with him. I just love that part of this story more than anything and the generic Knicks trying to bring in big name X, even if it's off the court. I love that that 
front office guys have become like celebrities now, like Maury, Masai, you know, like Sam Presti to some extent. You know, like these guys are are, are like the Theo Epstein's in baseball. It's just like you bring these guys in and you're automatically going to win a championship. I just find it really amusing that like a front office guy uh, can be like as popular of a rumor as like a player. It's pretty crazy to me. I have two questions about that. Number one, where do you think that started? Do you think that was baseball with Epstein and Cashman and all the like 31 year old Yale guys of your alma mater who went on to win world series? Is that where this started? Yeah, I'm still waiting for my phone call. I don't, I don't get. I played baseball at Yale, and I don't get any calls. You're in your 30s, and you're not a GM yet, and you went to Yale. Like, frankly, you're a disappointment. Yeah, and a player who was in my class at Yale, Michael Elias, is the general manager of the Baltimore Orioles. So, you know. Do you know him? Of course, I know him. We were in the same class, man. <laughs> so the other part of this is, I'm just sort of endlessly fascinated by which of these GMs become, you know, the Twitter rock stars. Because I'll just throw out a name here. Nobody ever talks about Donnie Nelson with the Mavericks, but he's been running that team for 20 years. They won a championship. They got Luka. We think of them as like probably the next big thing. Nobody talks about Donnie Nelson the way they talk about, say, Daryl Morey. Is that just self-promotion? A little bit. I think, you know, you have to have something like uh, like Morey has the, uh, you know, the the analytics and Sam Hinkie had the process. And Masai is just like this badass who's like willing to do anything. Danny Ainge will trade anybody. I think you need something like that. He doesn't and have it, a brand. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you need, you need a brand, like something that, that people Matt are Riley dropping for. the rings on the table. You mentioned, uh, like, how this started. And honestly, I'm thinking about, like, I grew up in L.A. with the Lakers, and Jerry West was, like, one of those OGs. Like, like he, he was known for picking the right guys in the draft. You got Kobe and Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and all these guys. So I think that might have been part of the start of it. But obviously, West's... Uh, you know, persona was certainly not a rock star. He's more behind the scenes guy. Yeah, he was he known was for mysterious. making a right pitch. It was sort of this perspective of like, everybody knows that Jerry West is smarter than you. And there was this period where it sort of felt like if Jerry West calls you on the phone, like doesn't matter if he offers you Shaq for a second round pick, just don't do it. Don't do it. He's up to something. And now he's paying guys $2.5 million to get Kawhi Leonard to come to the Clippers. So man, well, full circle. Like, we're doing a trade podcast. I'm sure we name the GMs as often as we name the players, right? Like Daryl Morey is as prominent a figure on this podcast as James Harden. I love the just the idea of of like if this guy calls you and offers you a trade, just say no. I just I just love Who are that. the guys from that? Ainge for I think, sure. I feel like Ainge is the one who knows something that you don't. Like among all of the GMs, he's the one who's going to offer you something defective. Yeah, I think the Isaiah Thomas thing really pushed Ainge yeah. over the top, where it's just like they knew this guy was like never going to be good again, and they got Kyrie Irving. For a while, it was the Spurs, but I feel like they've sort of lost their sheen. Um, Pat Riley just scares me. I just wouldn't want to do business. I wouldn't want to be in the same room as Pat Riley. I feel yeah. like he could talk me into anything. Yeah, I think maybe just the Nuggets front office in general, they've been pretty good about that sort of thing. Well, they've been good, but you're right. It's sort of like with Dallas. They don't have a brand. Yeah. So the face. winner of this, I think people are going to dispute this. I think people think this was maybe more real than I think it was. But I just want to go over the entire, let's say, three, four day period where it really looked like Kawhi Leonard was going to sign with the Lakers, because I thought that was utterly ridiculous. And it's a point that I've always wanted to make. Think about the way that that free agency was conducted. He signs with the Clippers. We hadn't heard a thing from the Clippers during that entire process. We hadn't heard a thing from the Raptors during that entire process. So let's do some process of elimination here. 
We haven't heard from two of the teams. And the third team is the one that's apparently the favorite. Hmm. Maybe the Lakers were just the one leaking stuff. And maybe they were just wrong about it. Because that really plays into the idea of Lakers exceptionalism, where I bet they met with Kawhi Leonard, thought the meeting went very well. And clearly, based on what they did in that offseason, they thought it went well because they didn't sign anybody until he was off the market. So what I think happened is the Lakers were just the only team that was leaking anything. And that was a point of contention, right? Wasn't that one of the reports afterwards? Among the many, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is why it's rumor of the year, the categories, because we don't know what's true and what's not. But they were saying that, you know, Kawhi wasn't too pleased that all this Lakers stuff was coming out when the other teams who he had asked to respect his privacy had obliged him. So, I mean, I, I think this wins solely because of the, you know, tracking Kawhi Leonard in his flights and uh, the SUVs driving down the freeway in Los Angeles. I think that uh, that alone pushes this over the top. It's like an O.J. Simpson-esque car chase, but with an NBA free agent. It was truly amazing television. Colin, as just I'm pretty in the weeds with Lakers stuff. I just, I just want to throw this out there. As somebody who's pretty informed about the NBA, a year after the fact, do you remember the name R.D. Ambition? No. What is it? Exactly. This was one of the, at the time, biggest parts of this entire situation, but we now know in hindsight to be utterly ridiculous. So this was a character that started on, that started on Reddit, I believe, on Lakers Reddit, who quietly started breaking, I'm not going to say major news, I don't think he got Anthony Davis early, but like this was somebody who very, very clearly knew something. Oh, okay, yeah, it's all coming back to the me fact, now. Yeah. The rumors after the fact was he was somehow connected to the bus family. I don't remember if we ever got to the bottom of this, but this was somebody who in the span of like two months had become like the number one Lakers fan trusted insider. And I think on July 2nd, like pretty early in the process, he says it's done. Kawhi Leonard is coming to the Clippers. If he had been right, would ESPN have hired him? Like, I'm just wondering. There was a point where like the Lakers fans had turned so far against Woj and against Shams. They were like, the only person we trust is our DM. (laughs) Is he like, who's that? It's like Scoop B or somebody. Some Twitter guy who's always breaking stuff. Well, I mean, I think there's a difference between the people on Twitter who just throw stuff out there. And like, there was like a real track record for two months or so where this guy knew stuff that was going on. And it was very clear that he was connected in some way. What I think happened was he just got a bit too ambitious. I mean, it's in the name, RT Ambition. Gets a bit too ambitious by saying Kawhi is coming, and then he doesn't. And then I, I don't know what happened since. I would assume if he is a member of the Bus family, he's been excommunicated. But that whole moment, I just it really seemed like Lakers exceptionalism to me from the perspective of if you really think about who Kawhi Leonard is, he never would have wanted to go to that Lakers circus, right? Like, what about Kawhi Leonard suggests that he would have wanted to deal with everything the Lakers went through between losing Magic Johnson and getting Anthony Davis. That just wasn't for him. But if only one team is leaking stuff, it makes sense. Yeah, and the appeal is obviously like Kawhi and LeBron. Like, that's that's what you're going for. Well, yeah, they would have won the championship easily. Like, I don't think we can dispute that. Well, not easily, but, you know. If they would have had Kawhi, LeBron, and Anthony Davis, yes, they would have won the championship. You know, it's all hunky-dory now because they won the title. But remember, at that time, the Lakers' front office was considered an absolute disaster. So, I, I, you know, you can understand why Kawhi would want to stay away from it at that point. I would just, 10 years after the fact, this is the rumor or the entire rumor mill that I would just love to see dissected in a book. Why did we believe that Kawhi was going to the Lakers? And the only answer I can come to is that the Lakers fooled themselves into thinking he was coming 
because that's what the Lakers do. If you believe it, you can project and and make other people believe it. That's what you're saying. Exactly. Next category, deadline trade of the year. Trade deadline. I think we settled on Jordan Clarkson, right? That's our runner-up number one. That is that is one of our. I mean, you, you push for Jordan Clarkson for some other categories, but you know. Okay. Well, this is a very straightforward trade. The Jazz had the worst bench in the NBA. It got slightly better by getting a pretty good bench score. The Cavs not only get two second-round picks, but they clear up more shots for Colin Sexton, for Kevin Porter, for Darius Garland. They had way too many young guards as it was. They cleared up the logjam a little bit. Pretty straightforward, mutually beneficial trade. Yeah, and I mean, judging by the fact that Utah signed Jordan Clarkson to a $52 million contract, turns turns out they actually liked him. You know what I was thinking when I saw this? Uh, the other trade deadline deal with, that involved Jordan Clarkson— Remember when him and, and Larry Nance and George Hill and Rodney Hood went to the Cavs and uh, they, they whooped the Celtics in like their first game together and LeBron was quoted as saying, we got an effing squad now. You remember well, how much fun that was? Then they beat the Thunder really badly like two nights later and it was like, wow, this is like this is on. And then the All-Star break happened and they come back and it's just like, oh, no, never mind. We're good. Yeah, wait, no, we were very wrong about these two. But yeah, Jordan Clarkson, I mean... What's not to like? The dude's a walking bucket. The you know the circulating Robbie Callen tweet on Twitter. You know it's Jordan Clarkson time. Signed by Jordan Clarkson. Nonstop fun. Uh, for the Cavs, I don't love Exum, but you know you you're getting rid of the guy who was taking uh, shots away from from your young guards and uh, get two second round picks. I'm in. If we're talking about Jordan Clarkson means the all timers by my former classmate who I actually do know, Roger Sherman of the Ringer who posted the angry girlfriend meme of LeBron as the angry girlfriend, the guy looking as Jordan Clarkson and the other girl as Jordan Clarkson. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. So moving on, I really considered this next one as the winner. I I think there's an interesting debate here. The Rockets get Robert Covington. The Hawks get Clint Capella. The Nuggets get a first round pick. Timberwolves get Malik Beasley, Wancho Hernan Gomez. Another first-round pick. There's some other stuff in there. But essentially, I want to key in on this Robert Covington element of it. Because I think before Russell Westbrook got hurt, before Daniel House did whatever it was that Daniel House did, I think we went into the playoffs thinking, like, there's a real chance that Houston has just discovered something about basketball that everybody has missed, and they're going to win the championship. That's it, man. I think this is going to be one of those, like— narratives that's just completely lost to history like people are going to look at like oh the post chris paul collapse of the rockets uh, it was a disaster westbrook asked out harden asked out and that was the last we saw of the rockets people are going to forget about that that month to two month stretch where westbrook was playing the best we'd seen in a long time everything was clicking they had no center i mean i was writing articles i, I remember the the rockets came to to golden state to play and i was writing articles about how this small ball thing was really starting to click. It's starting to work. They were playing great defense, all this stuff. So obviously all of that is contingent on them getting Robert Covington. I I remember having this debate with some guys in Slack about, you know, is Robert Covington really that good? And basically the answer is like, he's not that good, but for the Rockets, he's essential. Like he's perfect. He's exactly what they needed to go small. So um, it it was a huge trade uh, getting rid of Capella. I know, you have some feelings about Capella, but I think that's a, a good pickup for the Hawks, who have just the worst defense in the world. And then for the Wolves to get Malik Beasley and Wancho, who the Nuggets had to get rid of anyway because they weren't going to pay him. I think overall it was just a really you know exciting 
trade that had some real players in it and obviously a ton of other stuff we don't need to talk about. But I think when you're looking at a a trade deadline deal, you're looking at something like this. Lots of players, lots of teams, a lot of implications. So the Rockets get Robert Covington. The first game with him in Houston, they're in L.A., and they beat the Lakers pretty handily. It says 10 points is in the box score, but, you know, having watched that game, it was not that close. Like, the Lakers did not know what to do with the Rockets in that game. They lose the next two. I believe there were some injuries in those games. And then they rattle off six straight. And like, these are good wins. They beat Boston. They went at Boston later in this streak. They beat Utah. They crushed Memphis. Like, there was really a moment where it looked like, wow, the Rockets have just solved basketball. It's over. But you mentioned that this this whole narrative is going to get lost. I wonder if any team is going to understand the context of what happened to Houston with Westbrook getting COVID and then getting hurt, with everything that's going on with Harden, with Daniel House having his situation, with D'Antoni and Maury clearly on the way out. I wonder if any team is ever going to look at the positives and say they were really onto something. If we can replicate that part of it without the chaos and the injuries, should we try this? I don't think this is the last time we're ever going to see a team try this. I think sooner or later, another team is going to try to play without a center. And I think the fact that the Houston had the success that it did with Robert Covington is probably going to be the reason why. It's funny that we mentioned Daniel House and Malik Beasley in the same conversation, both uh, you know off-court NBA All-Stars in, in recent months. But uh, I do think that that is something that, that people would try. You're just you know what this league's like and what you know twitter is like like when the rockets were playing small ball this is the future of the nba centers are dead the lakers win the title with javel mcgee and dwight howard and anthony davis you need big men to win you need length and size and defense and all this stuff so it might be a while until we see you know somebody actually try the the you call it small ball but these guys are all 610 611 now so uh it's not really small ball it's just kind of centerless basketball well um, you know so. what the all-timer was when the warriors won their first championship there was like this two-year run where every team wanted to get like a switchable forward who could be their quote-unquote small ball five and some of the moves that teams made in search of that was like Solomon Hill got $50 million from the Pelicans. <laughs> Draymond. And it's like, clearly you guys are misunderstanding the core concept here, which I think Daryl Morey understood more than anything was there's not a specific style that wins. Just get the best players. And Robert right. Covington, I mean, you like Clint Capella more than I do. Robert Covington is a better player than Clint Capella. I think we can agree on that pretty handily. Aside from the stylistic advantages that it brought, the Rockets got better. They traded a player who was good for a player who was better. I think that's pretty straightforward. And when you're a contender, that's always a good deadline. And they got off Capella's salary. I do want to come back to this Beasley part of it, though. I think the Beasley-Denver portion was just really not great on all sides. Yeah, you were more Denver, down on this than I was. Well, Denver gets a late first-round pick. With a late first-round pick, you hope to take somebody as good as Malik Beasley or Wancho Hernan Gomez, right? Like, this was clearly just a money thing. Like, why didn't they just pay those guys? Are you trying to say that Zeke Naji isn't going to be as good as Malik Beasley and Wancho Ornat Gomez? I mean, look, Denver's track record is pretty good. Like, maybe they'll hit a home run with that pick. I think it's far likelier that Zeke Naji is going to be worse than Malik Beasley. Especially, you know what the you know what the Nuggets really could have used in that Lakers series? Another awesome three-point shooter. They didn't have that. Yeah, but if you get, you know, Beasley is, is a little crowded with uh, with Gary Harris and Will Barton and, you know, 
uh, Jamal Murray, there's Monty Morris. Like I think they're just looking at their their roster and saying we're not if we're gonna have to pay this guy, we're gonna have to play him. And how do we play him with those other guys that we have? Well, meanwhile, Minnesota doubles down on the other end and they give Malik Beasley forty five million over three years with his legal situation. Like I'm not sure. Like I, I understand that you trade for this guy because you believe in him, but there is a sunk, sunk cost fallacy to this, right? Like you don't have to give a player a bad contract just because you traded for him. Yeah, was it who's that guy? We, we just saw this with somebody. Like they they oh uh, Tobias Harris, even right? Adams. You go, there's Steve, always Steve guys. Adams. Yeah, where you it's like yeah, when we spend all this, you know, equity to get him, we better re-sign him. Yeah, if you trade for a guy, like you can wait it out, or you can just say, you know what, this didn't work out the way that we wanted. Let's let him go. Like there are a million different things you can do. You don't have to double down, is my point. There are times where it makes sense. They had just spent the number one overall pick on a very similar player, a better version of Beasley, hypothetically, and yet they still give him the $45 million. I just, I can't agree with that. So I'm not crazy about this from Minnesota's perspective. Let's move on to the winner here. Um, I felt, again, I, I really, I struggled with this one for a few reasons. Number one, I obviously really liked the Robert Covington portion of the Rockets deal. For the... This worked out really well for the for the Heat, but it also, like, down the line, I really like this for Memphis, too. The Heat trade Justice Winslow, Deion Waiters, who gets bought out, and James Johnson for Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill, and Jay Crowder. The Heat obviously ride this trade to the finals. But Justice Winslow, I, I think I might be the last person still on this bandwagon. I think he's really good if he can stay healthy. You're not the last person. I think I – think- you know, he was improving and, and his three point shooting was getting better. And he's always he been that kind of. Guard. They finally figured it out. Like, yeah, he's, he's a playmaker. wing defender who could be a point guard. Right. Which is, a, you know, an incredibly valuable skill set. But the dude just can't stay healthy. So that's really what, you know, that the time tested portion of this is going to be, you know, is Pat Riley pulling a Danny Age? Does he know something about Justice Winslow? That he's just never going to be healthy because they were, in love, they were in love with Justice Winslow. Yeah. So. But, to get Andre Iguodala, and, and obviously we saw Jay Crowder go to an absolute different level, and Solomon Hill, who actually played some minutes for them. So I mean, Solomon this Hill is like kind of this Not is kind of the but he's useful. It's kind of the exact contrast to the last trade we talked about, right? So in theory, what the Rockets did in getting Robert Covington was perfect, right? The results didn't work out the way that they wanted to. This is a trade where on paper it looks good. But when you look at the results for the Heat, you're like, okay, that was a home run trade. So it's, are we judging the trade based on, you know, at the at the moment they make it, is this the right deal, or are we judging it more on what happened afterwards? And that's a difficult thing when you're talking about trades. Uh, yeah, I think we have to focus on the result here because ultimately Miami did make the finals. I do think we can't talk about this trade without talking about the trade that almost followed it, right? Like they were going to trade Jay Crowder for Danilo Gallinari. And for whatever reason, I think we think that that was an extension issue. It might have been a value issue with OKC. We don't know the specifics. But they wanted to trade for Danilo Gallinari, and it fell through. But then for the next three months or so, I'm in the aggregate, they obviously had the bubble stoppage. But in the for the next 25 games or so, Jay Crowder shot at Danilo Gallinari levels and didn't matter. So you're kind of just giving them a lot of credit for some very lucky variants that I don't think we think would sustain. Yeah, and Danilo Gallinari was terrible in the playoffs again. So, you know, and, and you think about it, too. Uh, didn't they try to trade Goran Dragic earlier in the year, too? Like, they tried to trade him Dallas? for Dallas. I mean, we'll get yeah. to the cap dumps, but they did try. Well, they tried to trade him to Dallas. I think Dallas wanted Derek Jones Jr., and that's what 
that's how that fell through. He got kind of lucky on a lot of fronts. Do you think they make the finals if they have Gallinari instead of Crowder? I think so, but I'm- I, I don't know because Crowder, just like you said, I mean, he shot as well as Gallinari, if not better. And with what he brings in terms of his versatility defensively, I, I, I have a hard time saying they would have been better with Gallinari. So I think the reason I lean yes is that the Crowder shoot, shooting happened at maybe not the most important moments. But when point. they got to, when they got to the Boston series, he had kind of he didn't just regress to the mean like he went in the other direction. So I think having Gallinari in the Boston series, even without the defense that Crowder brought, they would have gotten such an offensive boost. And I think they still would have won that series. But I, I do want to talk about the Memphis portion of this because I felt pretty confident at the time they could have gotten a late round, a late first round pick for Andre Iguodala. Did you? It does look weird right? when I wrote the trade out. I was just waiting to write like, okay, where's where's the pick? Like what what how, you know? And they, they yeah. did get they did get a pick with Iguodala to take him off the Warriors' hands so that they could do that sign and trade. So maybe that kind of alleviated their you know necessity for them to get a pick here. But well, uh, and I again, agree. we'll get to best cap dumps. But I just I'm curious about the decision. They could have gotten a first round pick. I think the bare minimum they were going to get was number 31 from Dallas, which is functionally, like, basically a first-round pick. They could have maybe gotten something better. We don't know. Maybe the Clippers were interested. Maybe somebody else would have materialized. But instead, they trade for a high-risk, high-reward core player. Would you have preferred, I don't know, like, the 25th pick or something in that range to Justice Winslow with his big contract, or would you have taken Winslow? I, I think I take Winslow, and again, this all comes back to the to the health stuff. But if you believe he can be healthy, I mean, this is a guy who I'm all I'm I'm a I'm a player over picks guy. If you if you see a young guy that you like, I would rather have him over a pick just because he's a known commodity, and you know, you believe getting him in your system, you can help develop and stuff like that. You never know what that 32 or 31 pick is going to be by the time you you're on the board. So. Um, I, I like it. I definitely was surprised to not see a pick, but I think if you're the Grizzlies and you really believe in Winslow and he fits well next to Jaron Jackson and John Morant and Brandon Clark and those guys. So I, I definitely see where they're coming from. And it's a little bit of a gamble, but I think, uh, you know, if he can stay healthy, I think it'll be really interesting. Well, it's kind of a low risk gamble. He has a team option next summer that I would presume they're going to pick up. But like, if he's still hurt, they can get out of this scot-free. They've got so many picks. They got one for Iguodala. They've gotten one. They've gotten some more from some other trades. I don't think they really needed another pick. So I felt like they thought they could afford to take this gamble. And I'm with you. I would have made it too. I'm not necessarily a players over picks guy like you. Usually I'm going to take the picks. But Memphis doesn't really need any more draft capital. They looked at Winslow as a possible long-term small forward. So I agree. I thought it was a good trade for both sides. It just happened to really work out for the Heat. They make it to the finals. They still have Iguodala. They obviously lose Crowder in free agency, but make it to the finals matters. Like, even if they don't win the title, that's a great trade. And and they got rid of Deion Waiters' contract, which freed up cap space for 2021, which they, don't, they won't use on Giannis, but they'll use on somebody. Yeah, so we both feel good about that trade, but we're not going to move towards the direction of the Iguodala portion of it. But actually, no, we're a little bit further behind that, but we're going to move into... A two-part award. There are two awards here, both titled Cap Dump of the Year. But we're going to start with the team that was dumping the player. So basically, who did the best job of dumping salary this year? My second runner-up, I think there are going to be people that argue with whether or not this is a cap dump. To me, it clearly was. 
the Pistons trade Andre Drummond to Cleveland for a second round pick. First of all, cap dump of the year being split into two parts. This reminds me of best original screenplay, best adapted screenplay. I'm just going to really keep bringing, did model this after the Oscars. <laughs> keep bringing these Oscars tie-ins. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was uh, this surprised me when you you put it on the list. And you know, the more I thought about it, I, I, being a, a daily fantasy guy, it's hard for me to imagine a guy like Drummond who's putting up 20 and 15 and a couple blocks and steals every night as a guy you want to dump, but then you look at that $28.8 million option uh, on the Pistons team that was clearly not looking to spend that this year. And well, we thought they were trying to rebuild, but then they went and decided to try to put together a playoff team, I think, but we can talk about that later. Well, uh, for whatever, for whatever they ended up doing. And I think we both as with most other people in the NBA disagree with what the Pistons did with that cap space. They clearly wanted cap space badly. They were trading for guys with longer contracts that they could use the stretch provision on. They were bringing in multiple veterans. Like They clearly wanted that cap space for something. And if Andre Drummond had been on their books at $28.8 million, I'm sorry, none of that would have happened. They wouldn't have Jeremy Grant right now. They wouldn't have Plumlee right now. Maybe they shouldn't have those guys. But no matter what they use the space for, they clearly made this trade planning to open up space. And normally in a cap dump situation, you're attaching an asset to go. And in this trade, they actually got a second round pick in return, which I remember being very shocked at. What? Uh, they only got a second round pick for Andre Drummond? This guy's awesome. But when you put it this way... If you look way, at it through that yeah. lens, it's a great trade. Right? Um, so it's a, this is a, a, an aspect of, of NBA roster management that kind of gets probably overlooked a little bit by by the mainstream. You look at what the return is in the trade, you don't necessarily see the cap implications or guys like you and geniuses who can figure this stuff out. But getting rid of a, a $30 million salary uh, for on a guy that you don't think you're ever you're going to retain later, you know, long term is, is always a good move. So I'll put it this way. In a normal offseason, at least with the cap where it's been the last few years, it usually costs around one first round pick to get off of $20 million. The Pistons got a second round pick to get off of $30 million. If you divorce that from your notion of the player and purely think of this as a move Detroit made to save money, that is spectacular value. And it makes sense because like, what are they doing with Andre Drummond? Like nothing. Now Cleveland is neither, but that's another conversation. And you can try to, you know, let him opt into his option and see what you can get, you know, at this coming trade deadline. But that's a dangerous proposition. And clearly the market was dictating that you weren't going to get much. So the other runner up here, this is more of a traditional cap dump, but it's one that I, to this day, do not understand for the accepting team. Miami needs to dump players to get to a point where they can afford the sign and trade for Jimmy Butler. They convinced Portland to take on Hassan Whiteside, who has $27 million left in his contract at this point. They give up only one first-round pick to get off of that $27 million. But what really irks me here is that the Blazers give up Myers Leonard and Mo Harkless, who both might be more valuable than Hassan Whiteside, to make this trade. I can't take this big man slander. It's like, it's so much. What did Hassan Whiteside get this offseason again? I forget. The minimum. <laughs> Well, There's the minim- a reason for that. Teams don't the minimum want Whiteside on their team. The minimum is different for different players, so it's actually pretty high for Whiteside if you think about it's it. It's 2.6 million. That's a lot of money. Something it's- like that. It's I don't know his exact experience off the top of my head. 
It's slightly Hassan less than... Whiteside, if you were building a team with the intention of winning a championship, would you rather have Hassan Whiteside or Mo Harkless? If you were building a daily fantasy squad nope. to win that night's money, you're picking Hassan Whiteside. Him and nope, Drummond... trying man, to win a championship. Win this championship with me, Colin. And look, no, I, I know I protest, but I watching a lot of Blazers, particularly in the bubble... Uh, when Nurkic was back, you could really see the juxtaposition of how a center can help your team and how a center can get a lot of stats but not help your team. And uh, this is funny. Whiteside was playing against the Warriors in a preseason game recently, and uh, one of the Warriors Twitter guys kind of spot-shadowed Hassan Whiteside on picks with Steph Curry, and he was giving Curry about 16 feet of room to just swish three. So, those of you who I, I get why Whiteside is frustrated and why he thinks he should command all this money. Because if you're going out there and you're putting up 20 and 15, leading the league in blocks, you're like, why do people not want me? But I mean, he signed for the minimum. So uh, from the Blazers, getting back to the trade, from the Blazers' perspective, they knew they weren't going to have Nurkic for most of the year. Uh, Zach Collins, uh, he eventually ended up getting hurt. They didn't know he was going to get hurt. But I think they just wanted some extra. Uh, incentive in the middle. They were uh, a you know a much worse defensive team with with Whiteside than Nurkish, but I thought th- they probably wanted someone who could at least protect the rim for stretches. Well, but the, the Myers Leonard thing is is kind of inexcusable. Well, here's my argument against that. I mean, Hassan Whiteside just signed for the minimum. That's proof of how available centers are at the minimum, right? Like, why didn't they try the Dwight Howard thing? They have a great culture. Damian Lillard could have done for him what LeBron did. Right. Like there are always centers available for the minimum and they gave up two pretty valuable players to get Whiteside when they didn't have to give up those players. Like, look at this from the Clippers perspective. They got a first round pick from Miami to take on Mo Harkless, who was a positive value in his contract. Right. Like we're going to talk about some of the not so great stuff the Clippers did later on. That was an awesome move by the Clippers. It's weird. The more you think about it, the, the stranger it gets. Uh I don't understand. And, and when you get rid of Mo Harkless, I mean, you saw that the Blazers have done a great job covering up on the wing this offseason. But last year, they, after Rodney Hood went down, it was old Mother Hubbard. Like, they had absolutely nothing on the wing. And part of that was getting rid of Harkless. So I, I, my only thought is that, like, hey, we just can't keep running this thing back over and over and, and you know, losing in the playoffs. So they tried something different, but did not work. And Myers Leonard started for most of the year for Miami. So if we're going to move to the winner of this category, I don't think the argument here is whether or not this trade wins this category this year. I think the more pertinent question is, is this the greatest cap dump in the history of professional basketball? So here is the trade. The Oklahoma City Thunder trade Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets for Chris Paul, and they get back two first-round picks from the Rockets, 2024 and 2026. Two first-round pick swaps with the Rockets, 2021 and 2025. But there's more to this. They but then wait, trade there's Chris more. Paul down the line for a first-round pick in 2022 from Phoenix, along with Kelly Oubre Jr., who they trade for another first-round pick to the Golden State Warriors, Ricky Rubio, who they use to help move up in the draft and trap and take Twitter favorite, I'm not even going to try to say his name, just Poku, Poku. And, they still, and I guess Ty Jerome didn't make the roster or is going to be at the bottom of the roster. Like they get four first round picks and two swaps to get off of $90 million owed across the last two years of this contract. 
I am struggling to find a better cap dump in the history of professional basketball. And you're forgetting one element to this. The Thunder were really freaking good last year. I mean, Chris yeah, Paul has a resurgent season. They, him they and almost Gallinari, beat the Rockets in the playoffs. They playoff. almost beat those very Rockets in the, in the playoffs. So, I mean, honestly, like, what else? Like, if you're, you know, whiteboarding this out and you're Sam Presti, like, here are the possible outcomes. Is there anything better that you could imagine? I mean, I guess if they would have won the title last year, but short of that, I mean, geez. I, I honestly, I had forgotten they got so many picks. I thought, like, they got one first rounder. And everybody was like, oh, wow, they got CP3, who's better than Westbrook, and a first-rounder. It, it did occur to me they had the two first-rounders and the two pick swaps, which is insane, especially considering especially considering how bad the Rockets might be if Harden leaves. Having Houston's first-round picks in 2024 and 2026, the only downside is that they're top four protected. And I'm not convinced the Rockets won't be picking in the top four in those years. Like yeah, that's, They might try their best to get into the top four. <laughs> they, they get two extra first round picks off of the spinoffs of this deal. Like, that's the amazing part, right? Like, this is the sort of package that you give up to get a star. They got this package and they dumped maybe the worst contract in basketball. Like, we're going to get two trade of the year down the line. I think there is a really compelling argument for this trade. We'll get into why then, but I mean, just for now, if you can think of a better cap dump in the history of basketball, I, I'd love to hear it because this is this was a historic trade for Sam Presti. You know what this makes me think of? Have you ever seen Boiler Room? This is an old movie from my high school era, that, but anyway. That's Christian Bale, right? I haven't seen it, but I feel like no, I've heard no. It. This is Giovanni Ribisi, and it's about like it's basically a ripoff of uh, Wall Street, but anyway. Uh, it, it's all these like young hotshots trying to pitch stocks. And at one point, this guy is trying to sell this stock and all his like buddies are crowded around him listening to this huge trade. And he he gives the guy his final pitch, right? And the guy on the other line is just dead silent. And the guy's about to say something, but one of his senior brokers grabs him and, and shushes him. So it's like, don't say anything. And it's just quiet for another five seconds. And the guy goes, all right, let's do it. That's how I picture Sam Presti doing this deal. He made that offer, and they were quiet, and he was about to say, okay, we'll pull back some of the picks. And one of his guys grabbed him and was like, wait, wait, wait. And then they're like, okay, we'll do it. Well, I mean, that's just – we're going to get to this with the other great trade that Sam Presti made. It's just perfect capitalization of leverage. And I think the fact that he, has had, he had had Russell Westbrook on his team for so long, he had had James Harden on his team originally – and he had made so many big trades with Daryl Morey in the past, he clearly knew what was going on there, which was Daryl Morey didn't want to make this trade, but it didn't matter because Daryl Morey's boss, Tillman Fertitta, did, and Daryl Morey's other boss, James Harden, did. So he read the room, and he got it perfect. It was, It's about as perfect a trade as you could ask. I, I can't think of anything that the Thunder could have done better in handling this situation. It was just – if, if they ever make textbooks about trading in the NBA, this is a textbook trade. And Maury probably knew we either win the championship or I'm out. So he was like, yeah, I, I don't I care about these future trade. picks. <laughs> when he made that trade, he had to have known I'm not going to be here to deal with the fallout. Yep. So now we're moving on to the other portion of the cap dump of the year, the cap dump of the year for the receiving team. There are two here that I really like. I think there's going to be some interesting debate, but we'll start with the one that's, you know, kind of the lesser one. The Phoenix Suns get Aaron Baines from the Boston Celtics. They swapped the number 24 pick in 2019 for Milwaukee's pick in 2020, which turned out to be number 30, 
But those picks, let's just say that they basically offset. What really happened here was the Celtics needed to move off Baron Baines because they wanted to create max cap space to sign Kemba Walker. And the Suns got a free year of a good starting center out of the deal. Yeah, and he was the guy who everyone was pointing to at the beginning of the year because I remember the Suns started off like, I don't know, they were like 5-3 and three or something. But they had some, some, some close you losses, you know. Yeah, go so, ahead. I want to hear the numbers. Aaron Baines, he was really weirdly tied to DeAndre Ayton. So in the season opener when Ayton played, Baines scores five points. is not really a factor. DeAndre Ayton gets suspended for the next 25 games. In that period, Aaron Baines averages 15. He's playing great defense. He's making threes. He's, he's you know, dishing out assists, doing everything that you want Aaron Baines to do. Aiton comes back in his first game, Aaron Baines scores two points. And that's basically what happens for the entire year. There's a period in March where DeAndre Ayton misses two games. And in those two games, Aaron Baines scores 61 points. That's a, that's a lot of points. And there were times, I mean, there was times during this kind of run when, when Aiton was out in suspension that we were talking about what happens when Aiton comes back. Do, do they start Aaron Baines? Like, is, is Aiton going to ruin this team? And, you know, with your numbers it might actually speak to that but I I don't think Baines is that good and what really happened was that we realized that if he has to play that many minutes he's going to break down because he hasn't played that many minutes so um, that's really what happened but ultimately for for what it did for Monty Williams and that culture and, and getting that team to play defense I think it was invaluable. That's a great point I think it was more than anything it's a sort of trade where you only have him for one year he's not going to factor into your long term championship calculus but it helped establish a culture, right? Like having a veteran do that early on under a new coach with a young team, that has genuine value. So you know what? You're right. Maybe this trade was even better than I thought it was. Yeah. But and and he also broke Steph Curry's hand, so eliminating the competition. Well, you know what? I guess they that was one fewer team in the bubble that they had to compete against. But even going eight <laughs> no wasn't enough apparently. Well, this year it will be because there are ten spots. But number two, this is where I think it gets really interesting. Golden State Warriors trade Andre Iguodala. Memphis Grizzlies and give up what I think is a very valuable future first round pick protected one to four in, in 2024, number one overall in 2025 unprotected in 2026. But the key here is that not only do the Grizzlies get that pick, but they get Andre Iguodala, who's a valuable player and they turn around at the deadline and flip him into justice Winslow. So basically they use their cap space to get a very good first round pick and justice Winslow. I think that's just fantastic business. It is, and I remember the the Iguodala kind of holdout situation where people thought maybe they had, uh, you know, waited a little bit too long to trade him, and they weren't going to end up getting anything for him. But then they end up with Justice Winslow out of it. So yeah, I mean, so in the if we're rewarding the receiving team of the dump here, and remember the the Warriors had to make this trade in order to do the sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell, right? So. Uh, are we are we saying that this also has to be bad for the the dumping team no, as well? Not necessarily. I think the Warriors got out of this what they wanted to, which was they created the space to absorb Russell, which gets them that valuable Minnesota pick. I do want to throw this out there to you though: Is there any chance that this Golden State pick in the end is more valuable than the Minnesota pick? Because oh, that's the calculus here, right? That's because wild. They trade Iguodala to open the space for Russell. They turn Russell into the Minnesota pick. They get Wiggins out of the deal. Like maybe Wiggins will help them, but like functionally they give up one of their own picks to get the Minnesota pick. How good are the Warriors going to be in 2024? Like if James Wiseman is a star, obviously they're going to be fine. But if he's not, Stephen Curry's going to be in his late thirties. You know, Draymond's going to be in his mid thirties. Clay's coming off two major injuries. He'll be in his mid thirties. Like 
there's a chance that if you have one of these late stage Warriors picks, you're talking about a top five pick. Yeah, I don't know if it'll ever because I think in 2024 it might it might be a you know outside of the one through four protection, so they might just get it that year, no matter where it is. But I mean. You make a really good point. Let's not forget that the, the Iguodala trade also opened up a trade exception, which they used to get Kelly Oubre. So sure. come this on. This was a good trade for the Warriors, too. Yeah. I'm not doubting it for the Warriors. The other side of this, though, is the fact that Golden State has this Minnesota pick in 21. That player might be good enough to make this a not great pick in 2024 if they keep him. So yeah, we don't know I'm where not, this pick is yeah. going to end up, but I'm, I think it's a pretty yeah, I agree with you, and you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, there people were talking about treating Steph Curry after Clay Thompson got hurt, so you know anything can happen. Okay, the that'll be in the here, wildest rumors section next year. The winner here is the only trade to win multiple categories. We'll get to the second category after this. So this is a special trade in trading history. The Phoenix Suns trade T.J. Warren to the Indiana Pacers, and here's the kicker. They give up the number 32 pick. Oh, no. Get the Pacers to take on T.J. Warren. Oh, no. Like, what if now, number one, I had T.J. Warren among my top 50 when we did our top 100 ballots. Where did you have him? I can't remember, but it was high. Somewhere in the, like, 50-60 range is probably what you say. T.J. Warren is going to make $11.75 million this year, $12.7 million in 21-22, and they gave up a second-round pick to trade it, like, I get the Phoenix ended up in a pretty positive place, but I think this has been beaten to death. They did not take a wise road to get there. It was so weird, too, because he was coming off a great year in Phoenix. Like, he shot 43% on four threes a game. Like, I just don't understand. Like, why are we like, okay, we need to get rid of this guy. He's a hindrance to our growth. And I think the narrative at that time was, oh, he's this terrible defender. Well, clearly he goes to Indiana and, like, I would say he was above average on defense last year. And, I mean, he, he became an absolute madman in the bubble. I don't know if that'll last. But, I mean, the guy has clearly the, the three-point shooting held up. He shot 40% again last year. Uh, he's just a straight bucket getter. That was what he was before all that. I mean, the guy's averaged 20 points, 18 points, 20 points. Like, he can score. And, uh, you know, next to a guy like Devin Booker, and, you know, this is the, obviously before the Chris Paul trade, but, like, having a one-two punch like that, and now he's playing up and playing the four. I, I don't know, man. I, I mean, this is, like you said, this has kind of gone down in negative Phoenix Suns lore, but, I mean, to 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 give a pick along with T.J. Warren just so you can say, hey, man, please take T.J. Warren off our hands, then he becomes, you know, arguably your best player for stretches of the season. Just, the just cap completely. Management, the cap management there in general was so strange because on that same draft day, we just talked about a good trade that they made where they absorbed Aaron Baines. And I'm just thinking, or here's the thought, don't trade for Aaron Baines, keep TJ Warren, find some other way to make up that cap difference. And by the way, they end up signing Ricky Rubio with that space. I guess I'm not going to ding the Ricky Rubio contract, but they don't make the playoffs with him. And then they trade him a year later for Chris Paul. Like, couldn't they have traded somebody else for Chris Paul? Or couldn't they have like gotten a younger point guard? Like, it's not as though they use that cap space to do something groundbreaking. They gave up T.J. Warren, at the very least, for a player that we think is worse than T.J. Warren. Ricky Rubio is not as good as T.J. Warren. So it's also weird because, like, this is what we were talking about earlier, where, like, if you look at where the Suns are right now, 
like they're kind of in a place they want to be, right? They have a lot of young up and coming talent. They seem to have a good thing going. They got a good head coach. They just traded for Chris Paul. Like they're a potential playoff team, maybe, maybe more this year. But then you look at moves like this and you're like, that was a dumb move. So it's like, is it a dumb move if they still end up where they want to be? You know, how much, how much would TJ Warren have gotten if he had been a free agent this summer? If he had played the way he did last year in Indiana? Yeah, like just coming off of everything that we know, like say hypothetically the Pacers had taken on TJ Warren as an expiring contract. He does everything he does in the bubble and then he becomes a free agent. What does he get? I don't know. You think he gets a first round pick? No, I'm talking purely as a, as a free agent. What is his contract? Oh, oh, contract wise, I thought you meant if they were trying to trade him. Yeah, like, uh, well, let's see. Jeremy Grant got what, three Jer- years. Jeremy 60. Grant got yeah. TJ Warren's better than Jeremy Grant pretty comfortably, right? Unless you're saying like, oh, Jeremy Grant's got this untapped potential that Bob Pistons thing seem to think he does. But he certainly yeah, I think in that. The, in that range, 18 to 20, I think is. I think easy. it might have been more on like if you would have told me the Knicks had given him like three years, 75 million. I would not have blinked at that. I no, the, the Knicks are making good decisions now. They're not doing well, that. Well, why wouldn't the Hornets have just signed the younger and healthier T.J. Warren than Gordon Hayward? That's a good point. Yeah, like he would have he would have gotten a substantial raise over what he's set to make right now. Like he's owed around you know twenty four million dollars in the next two years. I think he would have gotten that annually on a new contract. So we'll see where that goes, obviously. But for now, that's. Man, that's just that's an awful trade. I'm glad for Phoenix that it ultimately worked out for them, but what a truly, truly terrible trade. Yeah, this um, could you know honestly uh, been uh, mutually beneficial because look at where the Suns are and the Pacers got the a trade itself did not benefit. Some <laughs> other stuff benefited Phoenix. Next All category money. here, we've already you know buried the lead. We know who the winner is. We'll get to that later on. Draft day trade of the year, and we're gonna have another Suns trade in here. But the first runner up here. It was hard to find many draft day trades, so we're kind of reaching a little bit here. You the know, Los don't, don't try to pretend like you didn't want to put this on there. <laughs> the Los Angeles Lakers trade cash and a 2020 second round pick for the draft rights to Taylor and Horton Tucker. Colin, argue with me. Please come at me. Well, Taylor Horton Tucker is the future MVP of the league, so anytime you can get a guy like that, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, like you said, this is a, it's a comparative category. Uh, a weak year for draft day trades. So recency bias, 100% after watching Taylor Horton Tucker in the preseason. I called my dad today and, uh, you know, we're, we live in L.A. Uh, so he uh, is an avid Laker fan. And he's like, hey, this Horton Tucker guy, he could be making some moves. He's like, look, he's got long arms. I've never seen arms that long. And like, clearly uh, LeBron thinks he's going to be really good. So the hype train is, is through okay. the roof. So I'm going to stop you right there. LeBron's blessing is maybe not the best thing. Remember when he said Shabazz Napier was the best player in his draft class? He just did that so the Heat would take him because he knew he was leaving. <laughs> I don't think LeBron was thinking that strategically. <laughs> Do you think he thought of the he's Heat playing, as a rival at that point? Playing chess, man. Playing chess. He's the, but, he's just like one last parting shot. Seriously, I mean, I hate to give an award out or at least nominate somebody for an award based on the preseason, but I mean, man, Taylor Ortnucker was like really, really good in the preseason, and the cost here was so minimal. That 2020 second round pick, that was number 58, cash is nothing to the Bus family, and they get somebody in Taylor Horton Tucker that like clearly. This front office loved, and you know what? For all of the jokes that we've made about the Lakers front office over the years, they are great at drafting after the lottery. You know, Kyle Kuzma, number 27, Josh Hart, number 30, 
um, Horton Tucker now at um, 46. Like, was just go Zubats down the line. Zubats, I think, was 35. Um, Mo Wagner, who I like a lot in late in the first round. Oh, like, yeah. They do a really, really good job drafting after the lottery, and this is just another example of that. So just from that perspective, the Lakers getting a shot in the second round, even if Horton Tucker hadn't worked out, it would have been a smart trade. Now, it looks like he's really going to work out, so that's how you get nominated for this award. You know what I'm having flashes of? When the Warriors traded cash for the pick that became Jordan Bell, and well, Jordan Bell fun- had that, that first was. year, that rookie year, where everybody's like, oh my God, they got Jordan Bell, and now he's out of the league. Okay. I maintain that was a truly terrible trade for the Bulls, and here's why. The next day, the Chicago White Sox, who are owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, who also owns the Chicago Bulls, signed one of their draft picks for a signing bonus that is suspiciously close to what the Bulls paid for Jordan <laughs> Bell. So it essentially looks like the Bulls sold Jordan Bell to help another team. Imagine you, you live in Chicago and you're a fan of the Bulls, but not the White Sox. How mad must you be about that? But this is what I'm saying. Like, if they would have taken Jordan Bell, he's out of the league anyway. So go, go sign your guy. Go, go I get feel the White pretty Sox confident kid. that Kalen Horton Tucker is going to have a better NBA career than Jordan Bell. Did it turn out to be like Nick Madrigal or like some super stud prospect? We can talk so, about baseball later. Just the one, my last Jordan Bell thought, and this has nothing to do with anything, oh, is I that he it. was a Laker for a minute this offseason when they made that JaVale McGee trade. And that got me really excited because Taco Falls, obviously, on the Celtics. So I think it would have added this really nice wrinkle to the Lakers-Celtics rivalry if it had become the Taco Bell rivalry. Oh, no. I've used that joke on Twitter so many times, and it always goes viral. People always love that joke. Is it like viral like we're laughing with you or like with the I don't even care. No, I don't even care. It might even be viral like what Taco Bell does to your insides, but I digress. Talking, um, about, talking about Jordan Bell uh, being in the Lakers for a hot second, how about uh, Eli Pemberton, shout out, getting signed, signed by the Warriors and then waived by the Warriors 10 minutes later. It's truly amazing. They even used the same press they, release. They just switched the word signed and waived. Wait, did they really? I haven't looked at Yeah, that. you should look at it. It's amazing. It's the exact same press release. The well, Warriors have signed Eli wrong. Pemberton. The Warriors have waived Eli Pemberton. Um, I... That has to be the shortest tenure any player has ever had with the team, right? If anyone's curious, they did it because they were they wanted to do it with Jeremy Lin, but they wouldn't let him out of his Chinese contract or whatever. Um, but he, uh, they needed to do it in order to make him eligible for their G League team. So that's why they did it. But that it was is, still, still hilarious. hilarious. Yeah. Number two, this is a pretty good Phoenix Suns trade. Suns, and at the time, we did not think this was a good trade. But Suns trade the number six overall pick to Minnesota for the number 11 overall pick and Dario Saric. Number six pick with Jarrett Culver. Number 11 pick was Cam Johnson. After one year, I think we'd agree Cam Johnson is better than Jarrett Culver, right? After the bubble, yes. So getting Dario Saric for free here, like I'm not, I'm pretty low on Dario Saric as a whole, but number one, he really found his niche in the bubble as the backup center. He was great in the bubble. So making that swap and presumably getting the better of the two prospects, and who knows, Jared Culver might turn out to be as good as we thought he was, but so far Cam Johnson looks better. Like This is one of those trades where you see it on draft day and it just doesn't really make sense because the number six pick, just generally speaking, is the one that has the real chance of becoming a star. Number 11, not so much. So it didn't make sense at the time, but it really did work out for Phoenix. 
And let's not forget that Cam Johnson was like <laughs> totally off the board when 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 yes. they drafted him at eleven. That this was, was people were like didn't even have him as a first rounder. Like they interviewed they went Kobe out White. On a limb there. Kobe White, his his college teammate, was getting his interview in the green room, and they said, "Hey, Cam Johnson just went eleven, and he went viral because he's like, wow, wow, because I don't, no one was expecting that. But hey, kudos to the Phoenix Suns, they found their guy, and uh, I don't know if Jarrett Culver is actually going to touch the basketball for the next three, four years in Minnesota with uh, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns on the team. So well, there's a chance we might not have any idea how good he is. I would advise Jarrett Culver to really, really start focusing on his defense. I mean, he was a very good defensive player in college, but Minnesota, other than maybe Josh Okogi, I'm not sure they have an above-average defender anywhere on that roster. So if you want to play Jarrett Culver, that's probably the way to do it. Yeah, Minnesota and defense that don't seem to go together this year. But yeah, you mentioned Saric, and like honestly, he was he was really good in the bubble. I wonder how that's going to look. They re-signed him this year, so we'll see how that goes. The winner here... We already discussed Phoenix Suns trade T.J. Warren to the Indiana Pacers. So congratulations to the Pacers as a team for winning the tradies by having the only two-time winner here. And also congratulations to the Suns who got, you know, two entries in they one show up category. <laughs> this is they like when you, get, uh, this when you get nominated uh, for Best Supporting Actor in two different movies yep. in the same year. It, it's happened before. Look it up. And the Suns also made a lot of trades this year, right? Like, aside from the Chris Ball deal, I'm pretty confident that the Suns are going to land on this list next year. So maybe the Suns are just going to perpetually be the tradies team. That's the, that's what they need to do. They need to make really good moves and really bad moves. And then you end up in the middle somewhere, which is probably where they'll be. So we're moving on to the big one, the biggest award in this fake award show, trade of the year. We Drum have up. already touched on two of these trades. Colin, I, I'm, how do you want to go about this from a format perspective? Because I think we kind of need to talk about all of these trades together to an extent. Should we name the cat? Should we name all of the nominees and then land on our winner at the end? I think I think that's the best way to do it. It's a, let's build up the suspense. This is the yeah. the one everybody's tuning in for. They just fast forwarded through the entire podcast to get to this moment. So let's really milk it for all it's worth. So we have three nominees for trade of the year. I feel pretty confident saying these were the three biggest trades. At least these were the only three trades that I considered. We've talked about two of them so far. The first is Russell Westbrook going to the Rockets. The Thunder are nominated here for winning that trade. The second is Anthony Davis going to the Lakers. The Lakers are nominated for that trade. The third is the one that we've kind of alluded to, but we have not talked about in depth. So I think that's a good place to start. The Thunder trade Paul George to the Clippers for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Danilo Gallinari, five first-round picks. <laughs> so, we haven't talked about the Paul George trade yet. I, you were, we, we argued about this quite a bit. So just let me know from your perspective, what do you have against this trade? Okay. Uh, it's not that I have anything against this trade, right? Yes, you do. You're with me or you're against me. It's, it's, it can be both, all right? I know people have a hard time with that. But look, Trade of the year. So I think we had a little bit of a discrepancy on what the criteria was. I'm thinking the Lakers got Anthony Davis. The Lakers won the NBA championship. What is the point of any of these trades that we've talked about if it's not to win the NBA championship? And they did it in their first year with the guy. So to me, 
Anthony Davis going to the Lakers is the trade of the year. And then you throw in the Pelican side. And that's got its own, you know, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, all these picks. It's great from their side, too. So I think just when you combine both of those things and you're talking about the trade of the year, the, the one that we're going to remember, honestly, I, I think I still vote for this. I've just talked myself into it. So here's my argument. Did the Lakers really trade for Anthony Davis or did LeBron James trade for Anthony Davis? Because that's what ultimately happened here, right? This isn't some wizardry by the Lakers front office to land this superstar in his prime. Like they didn't win a bidding war. What happened was Anthony Davis and LeBron James decided that they wanted to play together in Los Angeles and their agent, Rich Paul, did everything in his power to make that happen. If this were an honest negotiation, I'm pretty confident that Anthony Davis would not have been a Laker. I'm just not comfortable giving the Lakers credit for the way that they handled this negotiation, which frankly was not great. They gave up. It's hard to say that they gave up a hundred cents on the dollar because they got a, you know, a perpetual MVP candidate, but they gave up as much value as could have been reasonably expected. They didn't negotiate at all. They didn't have to give up all of the picks that they did. They didn't have to give up Josh Hart too. They didn't have to structure this trade in such a way that they had to give up Mo Wagner and Isaac Bonga to the Wizards to make it work from a cap perspective. They just went too far in the way that they negotiated this trade. And the Thunder trade on the other side is just, as we talked about with Russell Westbrook, a perfect execution of leverage. It was the Thunder recognizing this is a desperate team. We are going to milk them for all they are worth. That's what the Pelicans did to the Lakers. Why are we talking about it as a great trade for the Lakers, but not for the for the Thunder, right? Like, it's they're very similar trades structurally in that sense. I'm not doubting the trade for the Lakers. Obviously, they got everything out of that trade that they wanted to get. But if we are talking about purely the best job formulating a trade, I think it's very clearly the Thunder, if anything. And this is a nice dovetail into the trade of the year candidacy of the Russell Westbrook trade. I think that there is a very strong argument for this trade, even over the Paul George trade. And wow. Here's why. So Paul George, if you traded him right now, what would you get? You wouldn't get five first-round picks in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, right? But you would get quite a bit. You would get some pretty good young player, yeah, two first-round picks. Still valuable. Yeah, like he's under, still under a very contract, valuable player. Under contract for five years. And by, just knowing the Clippers, we might get the answer to this in a year because they'll trade anybody. So I think there's a reasonable chance. Like, you'd get 60% of what you ultimately gave up if you traded Paul George right now. We saw this with Russell Westbrook. The Rockets tried to trade him, and they couldn't without taking back a similarly bad contract. That's my issue. If you look at the value of the player versus what was brought in, I think there is a compelling argument that the Thunder got more for Russell Westbrook than they did for Paul George. They turned a negative value asset into four first-round picks and two swaps. With Paul George, they turned a positive value asset, a very positive value asset, into five first-round picks, two swaps, and Shea Gildas-Alexander. The presence of Gilgis Alexander is why I would give Paul George the advantage here. That's why that was my pick for trade of the year. But I had to think really hard about that. No, you're right. And, and I mean, it's funny how the shadow of Kawhi Leonard is over all these things, right? Because if, if Kawhi doesn't go to the Clippers and demand Paul George, this trade never happens, right? And if Paul George doesn't leave, then Russell Westbrook doesn't leave, and they just end up running it back. So that's really interesting. Um, you can I also— a little bit too, right? Like if this trade doesn't happen, that doesn't create the template 
the Bucks and Pelicans used for the Drew Holiday trade, right? Like, this changed the way that superstar trades were negotiated. Which is why you're seeing now James Harden. I mean, how are the Rockets looking at him and his trade value? Like, right? How could they possibly accept anything less than what the Thunder got, which is, you know, a young, on the verge of all star, future all star, and a buttload of picks? And that's what they want. And that's what they're apparently not getting offers for. Are you ready for some like really great symmetry here? Yes, I love it. You brought up Parasite at the beginning of this podcast. I, did. I think George Trade is the parasite of all of the trades that were made last year. It was the innovator. It was the move. It was the trade that made us rethink the way that trades are made. The Anthony Davis trade was the traditional Oscar bait. We get one of these every year. Why are we giving the Oscar to the same movie that we see every year in some form or another? Let's give it to the trade that we've never seen before and has changed the way that we will look at every trade that comes afterward. I'm glad you brought that up because 1918 was a really good movie. I'm going to tell you. This is your way of deflecting because you know that. <laughs> was it 1918? 1917? Yeah, 1917. 1918 was the pandemic, the other uh, Spanish flu. That's, that's why it was on my mind. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So I'm saying like the big, you know, Oscar bait movie can actually still be really good. But anyway. Well, I'm not saying it's not, this was a great trade for the Lakers. Obviously, like the Lakers got exactly what they wanted out of this trade. That just doesn't make it the trade of the year, right? Like to me, it's sort of akin to saying, let's give Avengers best picture. But if you're saying, so you're talking about trade value, right? Like if if they if you trade Anthony Davis now, it's the same haul, right? It's probably more since he signed a five-year contract. Probably more. So is that, well, is that a great trade then if you're actually going to get more that, at it? I'm going to pose another hypothetical to you right now. Just hypothetically, if the Thunder offered every first round pick that they have, all million of them, who could they not get? Because I think it's a very short list. I think it's like five players. It's like Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, Giannis, Zion. Other than maybe LeBron just because they have a chance to win the title again. Like, there's basically no player in the league that is off limits to them right now. I Yeah, I mean, yes. But also, like, I have a hard time getting behind the picks thing, man. Because like, it's just like you never know what these picks are going to be. Like, what if the Clippers are really good for a really long time? That's the point. They have so many picks that they're insulated against that. Oh, maybe they're all just in the 30s. Like, okay, they have 20 of them. You really think 20 of those picks are all going to be like number 28? Maybe. You don't know. But then the odds you of know, that are very, very low. And you also got to look at like they'll have their own picks too, which are well, this probably is another, be really good. This is just a side mention. And we've talked about this a little bit after the Drew Holiday trade. I do sort of wonder if the Thunder should diversify a little bit. Like, does it make sense for them to have three three Clippers picks, you know, two Rockets picks? Like, should they maybe just go to a team and say, hey, we'd kind of like to divest a little bit of the Clippers. Can we trade one of the Clippers picks for one of your picks? Like, if they really want to guarantee themselves as good a draft haul as possible, where they absolutely get, you know, one top five pick out of this, I'd kind of like it a little better if they didn't have so many picks from singular teams that are still pretty good. So yeah. I'd diversify a little bit, but... For the most part, if you have this many first-round picks, I'm pretty sure that a few of them are going to turn out to be really good players. Well, they have George, uh, George Hill, they have Al Horford, they have Trevor Reza. Like those are guys where you know you can kind of negotiate these kind of pick exchanges along with them. If if that's they're going to get more picks, in. yeah, yeah. But the war chest is practically endless there. So talk to me about the Paul George trade and give me the candidacy for that for number one. It, is ju- it was just so unprecedented in the value that went out. And it was a situation where 
the Clippers were so desperate and the Thunder beautifully maximized their leverage in that moment because they knew they were not just trading Paul George to the Clippers. They were trading Kawhi Leonard to the Clippers as well. Only they never had Kawhi Leonard, right? Like they might be the only team in NBA history that has ever traded a player that they didn't have. Has any other team ever done that? Because that's what the Thunder pulled off here. When you put it that way, it's pretty amazing. And it reminds me. So I think what you're really into is like the grift, like the con. And and I'm reading a book about con artists right now. And what it is, is you're, you're not stealing from someone, right? You're making them think that they're getting something from you when, in fact, you're getting something from them. And it sounds like that's exactly what's going on. Like, hey, look, you want Paul George. You're going to have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You're going to win an NBA championship. In exchange, all we're asking for are these young, this young player, a wily veteran, and some picks that might end up being really bad because you're going to win the championship. I feel like the, that's what really gets you excited about this kind yes, of trade. Yes, 100%. Now, I have one more question about this trade. You're building a franchise. You don't know anything else about your roster. Who would you rather have, Paul George or Shea Gildas Alexander? Who? Take out I, the pick. We are purely talking about the two players that headline this trade. I mean, the fact that you even have to think about it. Yeah. I think I would take Paul George because I think if I had Paul George, I could probably recruit the next guy. But that's no guarantee. Jay Gildas Alexander is under a rookie deal for two more years. Already, like, I considered him on my all-star ballot last year. Yeah, he he was definitely a fringe guy. He doesn't have the injury history that Paul George does. Like, it wouldn't, I wouldn't fault anybody for saying I would rather have SGA than Paul George and the Clippers still gave up five first round picks on top of that and two swaps the Clippers do not have a single tradable first round pick until 2028 that pick is even tradable right now they do not have control over their picks for the next seven years steppy and rule steppy and rule mention of the episode everybody drink and the, the reverse of that is if the Clippers just keep SGA and Gallinari, I mean, assuming Kawhi would have gone there, that's really the caveat. But if they have Gildas Alexander and Gallinari next to Kawhi Leonard, are they able to hold on to a 3-1 lead against the Nuggets? Well, I mean, I just, I'd also like to look down the rabbit hole, like what else could Kawhi have recruited, right? Like, let's say Kawhi hadn't been so fixated on Paul George. Do we think Paul George could have, or do we think Kawhi rather, could have recruited Jimmy Butler to come with him to the Clippers? Do we think he could have recruited Kemba Walker? Do we think he could have recruited Chris Middleton? Like, pick a guy. There were a lot of really good free agents last year. And Kawhi, because, A, he started late. Like, he meets with these teams after the after free agency officially starts. He doesn't meet with Paul George in person. I believe it was July 3rd or July 4th. I can't remember the exact date. Like, by then, all these guys were gone. If Kawhi had just, like, really attached himself to Kemba Walker or Chris Middleton or Jimmy Butler, like, they could have kept SGA and all those picks. And then maybe traded for a third superstar. Player empowerment era, man. It's ruining basketball. Get up on your so soapbox. I, I have this theory, by the way, and I'll never have another chance to really dive into it. So I'm just going to tell you this. Oh, you'll have another 2017. Chance. 2017. Chris Paul is about to become a free agent. For a variety of reasons, I think a lot of us expected he was going to go to the Spurs. Paul Gasol mysteriously opts out of $16 million in his contract. That's not something you do without a reason. Because Paul, Paul Gasol did not deserve $16 million at that moment. It really seemed like Paul George is going to go, or rather Chris Paul, I'm sorry, is going to go to the Spurs. And then all of a sudden, 
we hear Chris Paul has been traded to the Rockets. James Harden has been recruiting him for weeks on end. The Spurs lose their best chance at competing against the Durant era Warriors before they even really see it. And then Kawhi gets hurt and he demands a trade and it falls apart. But I think Kawhi learned from that moment. He saw James Harden go out and get Chris Paul right out from under his nose. And he decided when I'm ready to compete for championships again, when I'm forming my own super team, I have to take that same active approach. So I think he settled on Paul George and decided, I don't care what it takes. I saw what Harden did. I'm going to go do the same thing. And now he's sending Serge Ibaka you up texts in the middle of the night to see if he wants to play with him. It's a nice little consolation prize. It's amazing. So we did have a tiebreaker vote on this because you voted for Anthony Davis. I did. I voted for Paul George. I thought our tiebreaker vote, James Herbert, CBS Sports reporter, writer, just incredible at his job. You should all, all around him. all around great guy, too. Just a good guy. The best Canadian import to the NBA. Um, he voted for the Paul George trade. Of course he, he used, did. Well, of course, he, me and James see eye to eye on these things. But he, he said a lot of things, as he tends to do. He really thought this out. But the thing that he that really got me from what he told me was, in description of the Anthony Davis trade, if anything, the Lakers got extorted. And I think he was right. I don't think the Lakers needed to give up nearly as much as they did. The Thunder, meanwhile, got every ounce of value they possibly could have. That is the difference. Do I do I get like a small rebuttal here? Yeah, rebut. The Lakers won the freaking NBA championship. Who cares what they gave up? That's it. I'm done. One acquisition of the year. I'm fine with that. But when you look at the entire context of the trade, I think the Paul George trade was the best trade that was made last season. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see the Thunder uh, in the NBA finals in 2037. So enjoy that. So Sam Presti is the major winner of the show, right? Aside from the Pacers for winning oh, two. Yeah. Awards one trade and so he's Sam, got, winner here. the Lakers are the winner in real life because they have the championship trophy so I guess they're gonna they're, they're gonna be fine I don't think they're, I don't, they're gonna, yeah they're not sweating losing the tradies this year I don't and think if we do this in five years and the Thunder are still in the basement then maybe we can look back on this and say okay maybe we were wrong but for now I feel very comfortable with my choice I'm happy that James agreed with me and that was our tiebreaker so the trade of the year for the 2019-20 season as we head into opening night is the Paul George trade from the Thunder to the Clippers. I begrudgingly accept. I'm willing to admit defeat, unlike some people in this country. So, congratulations. So, that, that closes the book on the 2019-20 season from a trade perspective. We cannot talk about any of these things ever again. They're gone forever. It you never happened. On the 2019-20 trade season. I'm happy that we got through the year. I think we haven't really said that yet, that this was a crazy wild year and we had kind of, uh, you know, all the trade deadline happened and then it was like the season just blew up. So I'm glad that we got through it. I'm glad we have a new set of trades that that started, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago that we can talk about during next year's tradies. And ultimately, let's hope that we can do these next year a little bit closer to the end of the season instead of at the beginning of the following season. Can you imagine if the season had been canceled and Anthony Davis had left the Lakers in free agency? If they'd given up everything for not even one playoff run with Davis? You've gone, you've gone delirious. This is how we know the podcast is running. Like, you're, you're going down the rabbit hole, man. This was the longest podcast we ever did, but it was so worth it. I have been wanting to do this for quite some time. Colin, thank you for indulging me, and we will be back later this week with some Honest, other fake nonsense. Honestly, keeping this under 90 minutes is pretty miraculous. We were under 90. I had us at like 100. I guess that was our talk beforehand. Yeah, we started early. Yeah. 
All right, that'll do it for guys. Go like and subscribe, review, do everything nice that you can do for a podcast. Um, we're on the Apple, we're on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, whatever that app is. So thanks again, and we'll be back later this week.